0: Chapter 7 of The Life and Times of Kateri Tekakwitha, The Lily of the Mohawks by Ellen Walworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. De Tracy Burns the Mohawk Castles, Fall of Tionnontogen. In the summer following De Courcelles' expedition, ten deputies from the Nations of the Iroquois League met at Quebec and signed a treaty of peace. In addition to strange pictures which were the marks of the Indian chiefs, the document bears the signature of Daniel de Courcelles, Governor of Canada, and that of Lord de Tracy, Member of His Majesty's Councils and Lieutenant General of his Armies, both in the islands and mainland of South and North America. The treaty is also signed by the Jesuits Le Mercier and Chaumonot as interpreters of the Iroquois and Huron languages, it states that the orator-in-chief, called Soenres, announced the object of the embassy by ten talks expressed by as many presents, and also that he brought letters from the officers of New Netherland. The substance of his harangue was that the Indians wanted peace, and they asked that black gowns might be sent to teach them they promised to listen to their preaching and to adore the god of the french they also offered to trade with the canadians by way of lake saint sacrament and assured them of a welcome in their lodges what more could be desired but alas scarcely were the ambassadors two or three days journey from quebec when news came of the surprisal by the Mohawks of some Frenchmen belonging to Fort St. Anne, who had gone to the chase, and of the murder of a captain in the Carignan regiment. The time for peace had not yet come. The Mohawks had not been fairly represented in the embassy. They were far from being awed by the fruitless march of Courcelles to the Mohawk Valley the French had yet to strike the decisive blow. Monsieur de Tracy resolved, despite his advanced age, to lead in person against these barbarians, an army composed of six hundred soldiers drafted from all the companies and of six hundred habitants of the country, to which were added one hundred Huron and Algonquin savages. This was more than twice the number of the original army of de Creusselles, who still bent on victory determined to accompany this second expedition the general rendezvous was at fort st anne newly built as had been planned on an island in lake champlain on the third of october sixteen sixty six all were ready to start three hundred vessels were there to bear them over the placid bosom of the lake whose wooded shores were now aglow with october coloring The vessels were light bateaux and bark canoes which could be carried from lake to lake and from stream to stream there was great difficulty at the carries however with two small cannon which they took with them for the purpose of forcing the iroquois fortifications grown wiser by experience they also made sure of their guides the expedition moved forward as secretly and noiselessly as possible through lake champlain and then lake george but the quick eye of an Iroquois hunter high on a mountain espied the fleet of bateaux on the lake, and bounding through the forest to the first, or turtle, castle on the Mohawk, his cry of alarm startled the people of Gondawagwa and Tekakwitha, among the rest, from their accustomed occupations. Hastily gathering together their treasures, they fled at once to Andagoron, the castle of the bears, THENCE, AFTER SPREADING THE ALARM THROUGH THE OUTLYING HAMLETS AND HOLDING A HURRIED CONSULTATION, THEY ALL RETIRED TO TYONONTIGEN, THE THIRD, OR CASTLE OF THE WOLVES, HIDDEN BEHIND THE NOSE. THERE THEY STORED AN ABUNDANT SUPPLY OF GRAIN AND PREPARED TO DEFEND THEMSELVES. THIS CASTLE OF TYONONTIGEN WAS THE STRONGEST OF THEIR FORTIFICATIONS. IT HAD A TRIPLE PALISADE the spot where it stood can easily be found at the present day one has but to leave the west shore railway at spraker's basin a small station on the south side of the mohawk river just east of connajoherry and palatine bridge then follow a road which winds up the hill to a farm a few rods distant which was owned in eighteen eighty five by mitchell like the other village sites already described it is on high ground or the upper river terrace near the farmhouse is a large spring surrounded by shade trees in the center of a meadow it is now frequented principally by thirsty cows but it was once the chief water supply of the mohawk castle behind the house is a perfectly level plateau from it the land descends on its northern side by steep terraces to the mohawk and to the west it sinks rapidly into a picturesque ravine where strawberries wintergreen berries rare ferns and little pink flowers grow in abundance flat creek flows through the ravine on this plateau many iron hatchets and wagon-loads of indian relics of various kinds have been found there the castle of tionontogen stood at the time of de tracy's expedition the view up the river at that point is extensive and beautiful, but in the opposite direction or down the river a sharp turn of the valley shuts out from sight the narrow opening or pass between the Nose and the other similar mountain on the south side of the river, which, as one travels round the bend, seems to approach and finally to overlap it. The name of the castle was significant, Tionnontogen, or Two Mountains Approaching where else could it possibly have been in the whole valley but right there by the nose their friends the oneidas lay to the westward of them and their enemies mostly to the eastward it was but natural then that they should build their principal fort far enough up the river to bring it behind the overlapping mountains in order to reach tionontogen the army of de tracy had to come through that narrow pass the people who were lying in wait at the castle though on high ground would not therefore be able to see their enemies approaching till they had rounded the nose and were close upon them after disembarking at the head of the lake de tracy led his army by way of an indian trail south easterly about nine miles to glens falls where he crossed the hudson thence passing south of moreau pond and east of mount macgregor through doe's corners near stiles hill and then near Glen Mitchell to saratoga springs following substantially the present highway along the base of the ridge of hills south of mount macgregor from saratoga the expedition passed near ballston and thence slightly curving seems to have proceeded in a very direct course to the mohawk castles which lay off to the westward one of the trails leading in that direction struck the mohawk river at Cannaquariones, or hoffman's ferry and another at Amsterdam. From this latter point, a short march up the Mohawk Valley brought De Tracy to Gondowagua. One after another, he captured the deserted towns of the Mohawks without striking a single blow. First, Gondowagua, then Andagoran, both on the south side of the river, with possibly one or more smaller towns, fell into his hands. And on he went to Tiiontigen marching proudly up the valley with his two cannon brought with such difficulty from canada and his algonquin allies who had faithfully guided him into the very heart of the mohawk country and his brave army of twelve hundred picked men armed cap a in all the panoply of civilized warfare never before was anything like it seen in that wild region only three or four hundred mohawk warriors all told were gathered behind the palisades of Tianontigen to oppose him there was no time to summon their allies the oneidas to their assistance the movements of the french had been too rapid they had only time to crowd together the women and children into their strongest fortress of defence and there await the result whatever it might be could the mohawks soon forget the ruin that the french soldiers wrought on their way from gondawagua even the child tekakwitha must have been stirred with a feeling of indignation and a cruel sense of wrong as that foreign army came nearer and nearer to her place of refuge moving steadily on through her own fair valley with a march like the march of fate destroying all that came in its way wreaking its vengeance on cornfield and cabin, in baffled fury at finding no foe to slay. With ever-increasing horror and anxious bewilderment, she watched and waited with her people in the castle of Tyonotogen. Her uncle and all the Kanianga warriors had staked everything they possessed on its defense— They had stored their provisions for the winter carefully away inside of its stout palisade it was as already mentioned a triple palisade twenty feet in height and flanked by four bastions that is to say there were three distinct rows of upright posts encircling the town the main or central wall of thick-set overlapping palisados had an inner and an outer platform, or scaffolding, near the top, running all the way round. These platforms, being nineteen or twenty feet above the ground, extended horizontally from the central to the inner and outer walls of palisados. The latter were higher and not so compact as the central wall. These outside palisados reaching almost to a man's height above the platform, were set short spaces apart and covered near the top with a solid surface of thick bark this protected the warriors when they stood high on the outer platform to fire their guns and aim their arrows at the enemy over the top of this bark breastwork just behind them on the inner and adjoining platform were numerous bark tanks containing an abundant supply of water to be used in extinguishing any fire that might be started at the base of the palisade this was the form of attack they most dreaded. To make the approach more difficult, they also dug trenches between the walls of palisades, and especially on the outer side, heaping up the earth at the base of the fortifications. Then, too, before the enemy could get at the palisade at all, they had to break through a low bark fence which stood some distance outside of the triple wall, built there for the purpose of breaking the force of an attack. If the foe succeeded in starting a fire at the base of the main wall, a flood of water was poured down at once through holes in the high platform by the warriors who were defending the castle. In cases of this kind, the women assisted by keeping up the supply of water. Such were the methods of defense in use at Tionontogen in 1666. They had proved effectual against all the efforts of savage foes. But let us see if they prove equally so against the skilful manoeuvres of de tracy's civilized army now close at hand tekakwitha's uncle may have had his doubts as to this but nevertheless the bark tanks were well filled and all was made ready to give the foe a defiant reception the warriors were in fighting gear and hourly waiting the attack it was just at this time that several Indian captives of other tribes, held by these Mohawks, were brought out to be tortured and burned with solemn rites in the public square of Tayanantajan. Thus they hoped to propitiate their war-god, Erascoy. Tekakwitha would not on any account show herself during this ceremony, as she never had the cruel spirit which the savage women often showed chauchetier tells us that she could not endure to see harm done to any one and that she thought it a sin to go to see a man burned this heathen rite was scarcely over when the women and children were suddenly withdrawn from tionontogen castle a council of war it seems had changed the plans of the braves those who could not fight were hurried off to the higher hills behind the fortified plateau and concealed in the woods the warriors alone remained in the town. As the advancing army of De Tracy came within reach of their bullets and arrows, they kept up a sharp fire from the palisade. But they no sooner saw the French soldiers deliberately pause, plant their cannon, and prepare to attack their wooden castle in regular form, than the utter hopelessness of the contest dawned fully upon them. Without waiting to receive the opening fire of the French cannon, they quickly deserted their primitive fortifications, leaving behind them a few helpless old men who did not wish to move, and the half-roasted victims of the demon's sacrifice. Tracy lost no time in taking possession of this last stronghold of the Canienga nation. Without loss of life, he and his army entered Tayanantajan Castle in triumph. The child Tekakwitha concealed in the forest near at hand, must have heard the solemn swell of the Te Deum, as it rose with one accord, full, rich, and clear, from the ranks of the conquering army. Never before had she heard that strange, sweet chorus of sound. The Mohawk Valley had often echoed, with the war-whoop and the shriek of the tortured captive, It had rung at times with the harvest song, and had caught up the wailing chant of the league over many a dead chief's body, but the solemn music of the Te Deum, which now reached her ears, was unlike any of these, and the tall cross that the soldiers of France raised over the ashes of Eraskoy's fire in the public square of Tionontogen, cast unfamiliar shadows on the long mohawk cabins clustered silent and empty within the triple wall father raffay the chaplain said mass there thinking perhaps of isaac jogues and praying for the heathen indians who were hiding in the forest he did not then know how soon the rustic chapel of saint mary of the mohawks would be standing there with open door to welcome them to prayer while this first mass was being said at tionautogen the mohawk warriors moody and sullen were gathered near their families a low and mournful wail from the women called the attention of all to the blazing palisades of tionautogen the crackling fire kindled by their enemies lit up with a lurid glare the now retiring army of de tracy for he speedily retraced his steps and was soon hidden from view behind the mountains at the Nose. As he moved on down the valley whence he came, the armor of his twelve hundred men flashed back again and again the blaze of a ruined Mohawk town. All their castles were burned. At the fort of anderac to use the words of an old document, probably meaning Gondawagwa, de tracy paused on the seventeenth of october to take solemn possession of the conquered country in the name of the king of france in token thereof he planted another cross and near it a post to which he affixed the arms of louis the fourteenth with her aunts and her mother's friend tegon Hatsihongo, must have seen these emblems at the door of the smoking palisade when they went back to find what was left of their blackened lodges on the bank of orris creek de tracy the gray-haired conqueror now returned to canada and the unhappy mohawks in straggling bands sought out their desolated homes secure in life and limb to be sure but bereft of all provisions for the winter no golden ears of corn hung as usual from their lodge poles they had no furs no beans no nut oil they were forced to live in temporary huts and to wait in hunger and cold for the coming of the springtime thus in sorrow and destitution tekakwitha passed a dreary winter among the ruins of gandawagwa doing her best as usual to put things in order during this time she lived on what roots and berries could be found and a scant allowance of the game her uncle caught. Spring came at last, and a busy one it was for the houseless Mohawks. With the genial warmth that quickly followed, there came also a strange new gleam of light to the young Tekakwitha. End of chapter 7